This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, The Hartford, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello. Welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. Well, before the new year, we did a show on Ringler Radio about how the fiscal cliff could potentially impact the structured settlement industry and our clients. But since then, a deal has been reached which averted a financial crisis for the time being and was signed into law by President Obama. And today on Ringler Radio, we're going to follow up with specifics on what that fiscal cliff deal was all about and what its overall impact is on Americans in general and the structured settlement industry in particular. Well, joining me today as my Ringler co-host is Bill Wakeley. Bill is the Marketing Communications Director for Ringler, responsible for internal and external information, management, marketing communications, technical and sales support, and research and data management. In other words, he keeps us in the know. Welcome, Bill, to Ringler Radio. Thanks, Larry. Well, uh, also our special guest today is a returning guest. Uh, we love him on the show, Dr. Christopher Coyne, Associate Professor at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. Uh, Chris, welcome again to Ringler Radio, and uh, welcome back. Thanks, Larry. I always enjoy it, so thanks for your kind words. Thank you. Well, Chris, uh, now that we've averted falling off the cliff, so to speak, can you give us some specifics on what that last-minute deal was all about and talk about tax rates, spending cuts. What what was all involved in that end of the uh, the midnight type uh, deal that we had? All right. So let's back up just a little bit and talk about the cliff again, just to make sure, sure everybody understands. The concept of the cliff involved two separate issues. It involved the what are always referred to as the Bush tax cuts being removed because they were temporary when they went in. So they were set to die at the end of 2012. So that was one part of the cliff that would have caused tax rates to go back to higher levels with the consequence that people would have less money. And that would be a hit on an economy in general. I mean, you know, suddenly money is being taken away from people because of higher taxes. So that was one part of it. The second part was as part of an earlier deal, there were automatic um, cuts in spending that were set to kick in if the Congress didn't find a way to restructure the budget or spending process. So those two elements were what the fiscal cliff was all about. So when they talked about it, it was that kind of double whammy event that was going to occur as of December 31st, 2012. And since we were struggling still 
with recovering from the 2008 meltdown, it, it would have really put a crimp in the economy's ability to move ahead and keep on going. So that's where we were. Mm-hmm. So then what happened? Really all that happened was one half of the issue was resolved, and that is the income side of it. What happened is the tax, the Bush tax cuts were made permanent instead of just temporary, instead of having another sunset provision put in the tax code. Those tax rates are now the tax rates that people face with the exception of that highest, I think it's 1% of wage earners who reverted to a slightly higher tax rate uh, that went back to Bill Clinton. So the, the tax rates remain the same. And off the top of my head, I don't have them, but I think they're 15, 25, 28, 33. And the old rate under Bush was uh, 35. So the first set of rates are still in place. They are now permanent. So that would call for a complete change in the tax code to increase those rates as opposed to letting them expire. But that last rate went from 35 to 39 and a half. Mm -hmm. So people who earn more than 400,000 in families, households, more than 450,000 would be required to pay that 39 and a half percent tax rate on their income tax, Mm -hmm. on their income. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. Uh, the, the, The spending side wasn't touched. So we didn't get that double whammy, but all we've done is set the money that we have available to spend. We still haven't figured out how we're going to spend it and what we need to do to help overcome the fiscal problem that really exists because we have been spending appreciably more than has been available from year to year on the income side. Well, before, you know, I want to make sure our audience understands what you just said, which is very interesting. So they averted the fiscal cliff on the tax side by by really making permanent the Bush tax cuts, except adjusting for the highest wage earners, uh, that, that slight uptick. But on the spending side, I think what you said was that spending cuts were automatically going to come into place at the end of the year if there wasn't some adjustment made. Since there was no adjustment made, what happened to those automatic spending cuts? Were they not did they not come into play? Thank you for uh, reminding me of that. They did not because as one of the conditions of the, um, the tax bill, they voted to push off sequestration. That's what it's called, the automatic uh, cuts in spending, for two months. So rather than have to face that issue at that time, they just said, here we go. I hate to say this since this is one of the phrases that they said should be removed from the lexicon. They kicked the can down the road once again. And, you know, Chris, you bring, you bring up a good point, and you did too, Larry, that, uh, you know, this is one of those issues that's so complex and there's so many moving parts to it that, you know, you're right, Larry, you, you, you pick up the morning paper and say, fiscal cliff averted at midnight, 
hey, everything's back to normal. We're in good shape. Now we can predict the future and see what's going on. And what, in fact, is happening is we're really, like Chris said, kind of right back into it with we've solved one little piece of it, but we have 10 other pieces to to solve now. And and those pieces are the more difficult, challenging pieces. You know, I would disagree somewhat. I don't think this is really a, a complex issue. It's very simple and straightforward. Um, we're spending a lot of money that we don't have that we're borrowing. And as with any kind of borrowing, at some point, it's got to be repaid. You can't go on continually. No country has been able to do that. Go on continually borrowing money without repaying it at some time. We're lucky because we're still the, the best economy in the world. At some point, that's not going to be the case. And, and if we don't have things in order by that time, we could be Greece. We could be Portugal. We could be any of the European countries over there that are struggling as a consequence of doing exactly what we're doing. Well, you know, one of the biggest problems of the, uh, for the American people in general to really get their hands around these issues is that the numbers are just simply too big for people to grasp. You know, the trillions and trillions and zeros. Uh, you know, I think I saw something on the Internet that was very interesting where somebody took all these zeros all the way back to like 21,000, in other words, like a household, 21,000 yeah, in income, right, 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 right. 38,000 yeah. in spending, and you got a deficit. Right. I think until the public gets their hands around just just the, the general nature of the problem, because right now I think the uh, the, 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 the how big it is, is is what's causing everyone to really uh, glaze over. And you're you're right about that. Once you get to those numbers, it really is incomprehensible, uh, and it's just a scale issue. If you could bring it down, as you said, and I've seen the same thing. If you, you just take the zeros off and make it a household, so that's essentially what you have. You have people that are spending 38000 but their income flow is only 21000 then you've got a problem. They've been able to borrow to make up the gap, but again, for how long will that borrowing continue? They needed a Ross Perot kind of, uh, you know, uh, flip, flip chart approach on TV to, to really educate the public. I, th- I don't think they did a very good job at that. Uh, hey, hey, Chris, I had a question for you. A- after, you know, before the, f- the fiscal cliff, um, was resolved, so to speak, quote unquote. Uh, there was a lot of talk about what this would do to the markets, what it's doing to the markets, how it affects volatility. What happened to the markets leading up to the resolution of the last piece of the fiscal cliff, and and where are they now? I mean, has this continued to to kind of put turmoil back into the markets? Well, it, the solution proved to be beneficial. Uh, the market had risen toward the end of the year. And when that deadline approached with no seeming compromise in place and Congress went home for Christmas and didn't look like anybody was going to be in Washington and Obama went to Hawaii, uh, the markets went nuts and there were significant drops in the market. Um, It started, I think it started to pick up just toward the end of the year, but in the very beginning of the year, January, you know, second, whatever, 
because they had resolved the issue from the tax side anyway, and and they had pushed the revenue cuts down the road, the market's really advanced, and they've advanced quite nicely um, for the two weeks we've we've been in the new year. Well, you're right, and uh, you know that brings us to you know the pros and the cons of uh, a deal like this. Uh, how, how do you s- assess the pros and the cons of uh, of what what happened at the end of the year? Is are there some uh, there are obviously some positives, but there must be some negatives from your standpoint. Well, again, the positive, I guess, is is that they resolved at least part of the issue for what that's worth. Uh, the, the negative is what I think, anyway, is the bigger issue, the one that is more difficult to manage, has been left undone. And we will likely encounter this ongoing conversation about that side now uh, with the hearings for the new Treasury Secretary. They have to confirm him. Mm -hmm. And he is a budget guy. He was at OMB and things of that sort. So I think that various people in Congress will take advantage of that opportunity to press him on this issue. So we're going to hear about it then. In addition, we have the sequestration issue Mm -hmm. that is coming up in two months. The end of February, they're going to have to deal with sequestration. Even if it means saying, you know what, since we did it the first time, gosh, you know, this is just an agreement among ourselves. We can do it this time, too. So we'll just delay this process a little bit longer. Right. They can do that. And then so, so you have So does the, this, Chris, the, mean that the, the volatility is going to go back up, then back that's, down, then that's back what up? I, no, I, that to me is what generated the volatility in the first place. You know, that's that's going to be an issue because, again, how do you manage the issues that you have with regard to these spending cuts. It's, it's not defense, which is where a significant piece is going to come. It's really the entitlement programs, as they keep saying. It is Medicare. It is Social Security. It is Medicaid. Um, might be some other programs in that, but, but they're really the three big ones. The interesting part of that is Neither side, neither Republicans, even the hardcore Republicans, nor the Democrats want to really damage any of those three programs. So how do you resolve a problem that exists and that we've made commitments that cost far more than we can manage, but yet no one wants to manage those particular programs, well, neither Chris, Democrats nor Republicans. Chris, what, what happened, this isn't the first time these issues of the entitlements and cuts in the entitlements and trying to save the entitlements have come up. Every time it has come up in the past and you had different points of view, <laughs> they did what they normally do. They form a committee. And then the committee comes out with a report, which nobody seems to follow. So there's an awful lot of that uh, you know, history repeating itself. There was a lot of drama attached to this particular deal, though, and and there was you know real brinksmanship before the deadline, uh, you know, in this showdown. This is obviously not the best way to run a railroad. Uh, what what are you saying? What are you thinking about the the way it happened? And uh, you know, 
realistically, as we move forward, having averted this fiscal cliff uh, that you talked about earlier, don't we have a big another hurdle of awaiting us on this debt ceiling issue? Uh, let's talk about that and how this brinksmanship process could really cause us real pain. Well, I, that's what it comes down to. I, I don't see um, a change in their approach. Uh, their negotiating style seems to be one of brinksmanship. It seems to be one of saving face making the point that they fought the good fight until the very end when they had no choice. And a number of um, probably both parties, but I think more so Republicans than Democrats have said that they're more than willing to push the federal government into default when the issue of the debt ceiling arises. And, you know, while that might be a good thing if it could resolve an issue. Again, personally, I I don't really see that any issue is going to be resolved as a consequence of pushing the federal government into default. Yeah, right. Right. Well, listen, I want to take a quick break right now. This is a fascinating topic and uh, so timely. Uh, Let's come back to it in a second. Uh, We're here on Ringler Radio with Chris Coyne. Bill Wakely, and we'll be right back. You can listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose from almost 200 topics. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and today I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Bill Wakely, from Philadelphia, and our special guest, Dr. Christopher Coyne from St. Joseph's University, also in Philadelphia, the hawk will never die. So, uh, Chris, Larry, I, Larry, let me uh, let me chime in here and ask Chris something that if we can kind of put this in a uh, in a, a little capsule here and say, you know, was the impact, uh, you know, to the economy good or bad overall with what just happened? Well, looking at all of the economic thought and the general process that you have, one would have to say that the effect should be positive. Why? The lower tax rates keep a greater amount of income in the economy. If they had raised the tax rates, the money would have gone from the consumers, from us, to the federal government, 
And it wouldn't have gone for consumer products. It would have gone for these other issues, entitlements, whatever it happened to be. So by reducing the tax rates, the general understanding is that that is a beneficial event for the economy as a whole. Okay. And, that, and you know, um, we've discussed this in the past, and, and I know you guys discussed this too in the first show, the first version of this, Chris, but um, structured settlements, you know, as far as the, the security and and value of them in any economy, I mean, has that, has this deal or, or the fluctuations and, and publicity that's going on with the fiscal cliff, um, how does this impact, you know, the structured settlement industry? Well, it, at the very least, it leaves all of the safeguards in place that had been there before. So they didn't do anything different with regard to the tax advantages of the structured settlement and all of that. Um, again, with interest rates so low and what I see as increased volatility, at, at least for the relatively short term, I mean, who knows uh, how long that kind of volatility will continue, but they haven't done anything to resolve the volatility issue, which would create a, a benefit for an annuity, a structured settlement, that, that certainty type of event for people. So from that perspective, uh, you know, until they get it resolved, until they get this thing really in a place where they can manage it more successfully, that increased volatility has got to be a negative event for people operating and managing their own money. Well, no question about that. And, uh, you know, we sell this every day in our business, the certainty of uh, the annuity coming to you, uh, irregardless of the uh, the volatility of the markets and of the interest rate fluctuations. I find that most people are looking for peace of mind. Uh, and a lot of people just don't trust the markets. But uh, we'll see how that plays out, and we're all going to be keeping our uh, eye on that. Well, Chris, you know, I know you love to make predictions. You you made some predictions uh, in the last show about how the fiscal cliff uh, scenario would come out, and I think that was pretty good. I think you even made a prediction about who's going to be the next coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, which I think may be, may be going in the right direction. But what what do you say about this debt ceiling uh, debate that's going to be coming up? Uh, are we going to see another brinksmanship showdown this time with the, with the new Congress? Uh are we going to have any different approach on dealing with these major problems than we've had in the past, or is is this just business as usual? Well, I I think the look at it is to see what has happened just in this short period for the new Congress. Remember, we had a new Congress come in. But the leadership of the two houses hasn't really changed. Right. So if that's the case, I think it's it's we cannot anticipate there would be a change in the approach when the people who use that negotiating style in the past are still the ones who are responsible for the process. Well, the only way that's going to change, uh, Chris, and you know, this is no revelation is is that the people have to really pressure the congress to, to, that, to change. that's right it really does uh, um, and but <laughs> it's such a difficult issue it's such a difficult 
really thing to do for people because social security is social, so emotionally charged. One, one, I know it's a, a little bit off, but, but you know, the whole point with social security is people believe that because they've paid into social security all this time that they're entitled on the back end. What, what they don't understand is that social security has never been a savings program. Social security has always been a support the current retirees program. So you paying anybody paying social security is not having money put away for them in the future. They're paying somebody that's already out and retired. Right. And I think that's what, that's what's, you know, fostered this concept of uh, let people, you know, invest their own, so to speak, social security, uh, uh, amounts that they're, that are currently paying to the government, this whole self-directed fund uh, arrangements that they were talking about had, had a lot to do with that, that people thought they could save for their own retirement better than waiting for the government and, and future uh, folks to uh, to pay for them. So, I mean, there's a lot of that going on. That's a subject of a whole nother show. But let's talk about the, the listeners out there who have heard about this fiscal cliff uh, arrangement at the end of the year, who know about the fact that they've kicked the can down the road on the spending issues and that they have the debt ceiling coming up for all of those listeners out there. What do you, what do you have for them in the way of any parting financial advice? I know you're not a financial advisor, so to speak, but with all the uncertainty and yet they're trying to become more certain in Congress on some of these issues, what, what, what do you think the normal, the average guy out there on the street should be doing? Well, uh, Saving as much as they can, um, being responsible in in that way, uh, it's it's easier said than done. But um, I, you know, having a little bit more sense about expectations in terms of returns and things of that sort. I mean, one one can invest successfully and and do very well, but there is the volatility. You have to be willing to be in it for the long run. If, if you are patient and make reasonable choices, Mm -hmm. you should be okay in the long run. The problem is you get caught up in the volatility of the short run and then the long run disappears and falls apart. Well, I think the only saving grace for a lot of people today is that, you know, housing prices are low. The cost of housing is lower than it's been in the past and interest rates are low from from a mortgage standpoint. So there's some opportunity there. And also inflation is low. So, I mean, right now we're, we don't have to, f- to fight those issues, but, you know, if inflation ever started soaring and, and some no, of those issues, to, yeah. They, I mean, we've, we've been in such a low inflationary period, uh, it's virtually impossible to have it remain at that level. We've been very fortunate, but inflation has got to come back. Well, I think that's another prediction you're making, so uh, we're going to mark that down, and we're going to see how good you are. All right, well, Chris, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, they can email me at ccoyne, and my number at school is 610 610- Six six zero one six six eight. Terrific. And Bill, if someone wanted to talk to you, how would they do that? Larry email is probably the easiest at B Wakeley, B W A K E L E E at Wrangler And my phone number is six one oh five six four seventeen thirty four. 
Terrific, terrific. And, of course, if you want to reach any Ringler Associate, ringlerassociates.com, a terrific website. I encourage you to go to it. It's been uh, revamped, and uh, it's got a lot of great information. And uh, you can download every Ringler radio show from that website. We've had you know, way over 100 shows that we've done, and uh, I'm happy to announce that we've now crossed the threshold of over 1.5 million listeners around the world, and uh, it's a pretty exciting time. So uh, I would also say this. If you uh, go to ringlerradio.com, ringlerassociates.com, as well as legaltalknetwork.com, uh, or iTunes, you can also uh, listen to Ringler Radio shows. And I think that's a pretty nice thing to do on a cold winter night, wouldn't you say, Chris? Absolutely. Well, terrific. All right, Chris, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it's always my your, pleasure. We always appreciate your insight. And, Bill, thanks for being my uh, great co-host once again. You bet. Thanks, Larry. And for all of you out there, go have a great day. Thanks. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating its seventh year on Legal Talk Network with over a million listeners. Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.